You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I am one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm your other host, Roger Gaddis. And today, we have the privilege of talking with one of the longtime members of the White Commercial team. Uh, He's um, been a fixture as long as I've been involved with the White Commercial family, Uh, and um, He's been, a, I guess, just as much a fixture in the uh, grain business in the um, upper Midwest, uh, mainly, but uh, he, this guy lives on the road. He's been all over the place. And, of course, we're talking about the one and only Scott Hansen from beautiful downtown Griswold, Iowa. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Well, thanks, guys. Glad to be with you, finally. It's a pleasure so, to be here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit, uh, us as in the audience, a little bit about uh, your background. Uh, I, I made some comments here recently, but everybody else may be like, oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. So enlighten us, if you would. What, what's your story in a, in a nutshell? Well, in a nutshell, um, I literally grew up in the grain business. Uh, my family, uh, my grandfather actually, started the grain business in Griswold in 1948. Um, I was born in 57, so I literally grew up in the grain business, uh, worked there all through school, uh, drove straight truck to the country when I was 13, um, worked with farmers, uh, went to college, came back, drove semi for a while, came into the office. So I've been working in the office for about probably six, seven years merchandising and doing things and wound up being manager and head merchandiser and then went to work for White Commercial 29 years ago and stayed in Holiday Inn's Expresses ever since. That's well, pretty much like, it. Uh, you have like the, the Spire Elite like gold crown status or something, right? Like where they'll actually call you and ask you your opinion on how to set up different things for hotels and things? And it's funny you mentioned that because just the other day I got a phone call from the Holiday Inn Express in Grand Forks wanting them, they were wanting me to make sure that I knew that they were still open and were missing me. Um, so that must say something. Um, wow. I'm not quite sure what, but yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, yeah, hey, it got, can I ask a quick question there? Does, when you've been on the road for a long time, does your wife ever call you with those uh, like like that? And ask when you're coming home um yeah <laughs> it did happen one time <laughs> um that happened actually when um my wife was expecting and i had been on the road trying to squeeze in one last trip and i was about six hours away from home and and for some reason she decided that she thought maybe she might be going into labor. So she did call and ask me then when I was thinking I might be home, but that's the only time it's happened. Mm, nice. Turned now, out to be a false alarm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So 
you know, as Roger said, and 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 your uh, recap of of your timelines, all the nicest way of saying like Scott Scott's been around forever, right? So he's, he's one of our one of our old guys. This is great. He's a, yeah. a national treasure. This guy. <laughs> so this is why we wanted to have you on the phone on the on the well, I say the phone call today, but it's a obviously we're having to socially distance. We're doing this across state lines. If if anyone believes we're we're in three different states, aren't we all right now? I think. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. But anyways, we want to, Scott's a, a wealth of information and stories and experience and uh, and perspective. So we wanted to today get get some of that um, from Scott on onto the show for everybody to hear. And I know we have. Obviously, Scott's an expert in on the grain merchandising stuff, but also uh, the origination side of things. He's done a ton of farmer meetings, of course, uh, for so our customers, the grain elevators uh, will put on marketing meetings and ask us to come speak at them. Scott does tons of them all the time. And uh, and he also helps set up and train originators and origination teams for larger organizations and all that stuff. So he's he's got a lot of. A lot of experience and, and good perspective on on that. So we wanted to get him on the record today. So, Scott, I think it's a great time to have you on and talk about it with the current situation origination wise and what farmers are having to deal with. We have low prices. Demand uh, seems shredded a bit. And just recently we have learned about all these new government payments and how all that. So we would like to just let you. Uh, let you tell us your thoughts on the current climate and and what guys should be be looking at and focusing on. Yeah, uh, you know it's one of my favorite sayings right now is when I talk to producers or people that talk to producers is try to remind them that look, you know there are a lot of difficult challenges out there right now. There's a lot of new things that we're having to figure out what to deal with, but the bottom line remains the same. Uh, we're planting a crop. We're going to grow a crop. Comes, you know, late summer, early fall, we're going to be harvesting a crop. And in the meantime, we've got a bunch of old crop that has to move. We still got to pay attention to our jobs. And, and in the grain business, our role has to be that we've got to step out there and, and remind our customers that we're dealing with that they still got to do their job, too, on marketing the crops. Um, yeah, we've seen some fall off in prices due to demand and and lack of ability to move stuff at times but you know the the biggest challenge we've got right now and 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 I understand the logic behind the new government payments that were just announced what yesterday um yeah that you know the bottom line is this um the number one reason farmers sell grain is they need money and these government payments, when they come out, the tendency is a lot of producers will say, oh, I've got cash or I've got cash coming. I maybe don't need to do anything just yet so I can put off making a decision. Well, you know, the biggest problem we have in grain marketing sometimes is the fact that we can always put off making a decision. And it seems like that that has a tendency to work against us, especially when we get you know, past the 4th of July. So, you know, what I would tell folks right now is, look, there, there's probably going to be a little bit of an opportunity of a bump up, how much, I don't know. But 
what you've got to do is you've got to remember that that money you're receiving for payments is going to be on top of what you're getting for your grain. So you need to take that into consideration when you're making your decisions. Now, um, you know, Roger, you and I were talking earlier about the a, a different way to look at it that I thought was really, really good. Um, and that is, okay, corn, for instance, there's a 67 cent payment on 50% of the bushels that you had in inventory on January 15th. Well, there's two ways to look at it. That's money on old last year's crop. But if you've already sold it and got a price for it and you came out okay, why not look at that as that's 67 cents on that number of bushels that I can apply towards new crop. And, you know, in many right. cases, you know, that's a good way to look at it. You've got a Trump premium for a new crop. I mean, who could ask for anything more? I mean, you could have it. Well, that many bushels are spread it out over several. I mean, however you want to look at it. And, and, and I, I'll concede it's mental accounting. But, hey, if it gets you to take action as a producer to get some stuff sold on the board, what better way to use that money uh, if you've got all your old crops sold? Now, if you don't, you're looking at this and you're trying to claw your way back to where we were at January 15th. Um, but uh, I think the originators out there have to – find a new tack when talking to producers because it's just so cloudy out there, literally and figuratively. And we've got to give them a ray of sunshine. Well, this is something different. This gets away from the, well, it's important, the break-even talk. You know, I think that's getting a little tired right now. And if we can be the voice out there that brings them something else of, look, pair this payment with some bushels and see how it goes forward, Get some action taken. I think you have a we have a unique opportunity right now to to have that conversation with with our producers that we may not have in the months to come. So I think you got to you know make lemonade um, when you got lemons, and uh, we definitely have a cartload of lemons right now. <laughs> yeah, you know I I think that's a really well said, Roger. I think you know the let's face it, a lot of producers have a tendency not to add in government payments into what they receive for their crops. And, you know, right now, it's a big piece of what they're going to get for this crop. So they just take it, move on and get a decision made. You know, the biggest the biggest mistake they can make is not making a decision, which, by the way, when you decide not to decide, that's a decision. Right. So <laughs> that's one of those things you have to think about. So, you know, I. I think that, you know, whatever ra rationale you use to get yourself to taking some action, that don't be like some of the guys I talked to lately. In fact, at the Casey store um, here in town uh, yesterday morning, I had a guy ask me this question. He says, well, what do you think about the grain markets? And I said, well, I think a guy needs to be taking some kind of action or being ready to take some kind of action. And he says, well, this thing can't get any worse, can it? <laughs> Which is, you know, my grandfather Hanson had a wise, wise words for me one time. He said, there's two words you need to take out of your vocabulary. That's always and never. You know, it could never get any worse, right? Well, you just use the word never. So guess what's going to probably happen? So I, you know, I think we just got to keep positive with our folks. We've got to keep positive with our attitude and, and remember that, okay, look, if, if we've had, especially new crop. If you haven't sold anything yet, sell something because most people believe the market always goes up the day after they sell. So sell some. Then when the market goes up, sell some more. 
keep the rally going. So, you know, I think it's time to to be a little proactive. That's the main thing in our origination right now. We just got to get off a of center, start doing something. So should a guy with this whole January 15th, if you if you had waited and all that, should a guy change his marketing plan now uh, to to uh, to to sell less before January 15th from now on? Should he change his you know, whole, every way of looking at things? You know, the biggest problem that I've seen over the years is every once in a while we have an event. Um, back in 96, we had one of those events. Supposedly, we were going to run out of corn. And all of a sudden, forward contracting corn ahead of time was not the thing to do. Because look how look how much I missed out on. We saw the same thing back in 08 and in 12. Um, every once in a while, we have these events that lead us to believe that maybe the way marketing has worked in the past shouldn't be done that way anymore. But it always happens once or twice every 10 years that that, that might be a different. This may have been the year where it might have been different. You might have been better off doing it different. But you can't throw out the experience over the long haul of forward contracting when prices are good, when it gets you a number that you can do, uh, make it work with you for your operation. And, you know, I, you know, I, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Just because it, it's the uh, exception that proves the rule. Um, you have to stick with your plans and, and you can't just say, you know, we're not going to forward contract anymore because we might receive a, a government payment. Well, my experience has been if you're going to depend on the government, you could be waiting a long time. So just go ahead and do what you can and and whatever else happens, happens. Don't worry about what might the government do. So I'm, I'm not thinking I'm going to change anything. Yeah, well, you can't lose sight of the what you're trying to do, of course, is produce grain and make make a profit. And and uh, and the goal of farming is not to get the the most amount of dollars out of the government as possible. The the goal of farming is to make the most money at the end of the day. So right. you can't lose sight of that. And, and like you said, we don't know what the government's going to do or when they're going to do it. They've never, you know, chosen January 15th as, as a magical day of when you were, you know, and they may likely never will again. So <laughs> what, what are, what are the two words I'm not supposed to use always and never? So did always I always and both? never. Okay, good. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but yeah, it's a, that's a good point. So uh, now Scott from, so we talked a little from the, uh, from the standpoint of, of the, the farmer and everything, but the originator that is kind of, uh, needs some, some psychological help right now. I know you've, you've had some of those conversations <laughs> recently, um, with those. So, so those guys who are, uh, obviously we, we understand that the farmers are, can be frustrated with, Maybe they missed out on something, but how, from an originator standpoint, how do you encourage those guys right now? Well, there, there's a couple things, Jason, that, that I think are really important for originators out there. Um, first of all, remember that you're human. You have your good days and your bad days, right? And in many cases, your attitude about things can be shaped by the people around you. And if if you have producer after producer 
uh, industry person after industry person talking to you about how bad things are, how, how it just is terrible, you have a tendency to fall into that trap of, of that same way. Well, you know, it's, it's like the, I like to talk with people about the idea that, look, it's okay to have sympathy, but sympathy is not what you need. You need empathy. And empathy means you understand how somebody feels, but you don't feel like them. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you see if you're driving by a golden corral and you see people waddling out and they feel they're obviously just ate like hogs and you're like, ah, this is empathy versus sympathy. Yeah. I mean, if you were to have sympathy in that case, you'd go in and hog out too, right? Empathy means wow. Yeah. And don't forget the chocolate on your uh, apples, right? Um, Everything. But you're going to walk, I mean, you with empathy, you say, wow, I understand how that person feels, but I could probably be of more help to people if I have that empathy by understanding how they feel, but being able to keep myself emotionally in a better place to be able to help them and keep a, a clearer head. Um, you know, if, if if you go to the same place some of our producers are at right now, you're not going to be able to be that calm voice of reason that they need that's going to encourage them to do the right thing i mean take old crop for instance it's very hard to give up on old crop but the problem we've got right now with old crop a lot of these producers is that they've got a lot of unpriced corn in their bins yet and for whatever reason they've delayed making decisions and now they maybe have with the new payments another reason to delay making a decision even more but at the same time, they've gone out and they've got all this corn planted in almost record time. That means that corn harvest will probably be here sooner. So the window we have to move all this old crop corn is getting smaller from both ends. And somebody's got to be helping these guys make some decisions or otherwise, you know, we could get to the end of summer and have a real mess on our hands. So, you know, the, the originators out there have to be able to say, yeah, I understand how you feel, but and be able to give them good sound advice going forward. I want to move the conversation forward a little bit now. Uh, one thing, now, Scott, we have a lot of people that listen to us up in the Dakotas and everything, and that's that's where you travel and spend a lot of your time uh, up there. And uh, why? why? Why is that place in existence when it's so cold all the time? I, I've had to travel up there a couple times, and we we had Cullen on a while back, Cullen Wilson from South Dakota, and and had some fun with him. But man, those it is it is uh it's crazy up there. And I think you have a, a couple good stories of of dealing with that it's environment nice in the, up there. What's that? It's nice in June and July. Yeah, um, summer lasts fifteen minutes. Um, in some cases, <laughs> it seems like. Hey, uh, good things left don't always take very long. Am I right? That's right. That's <laughs> this right. This guy knows. But you know, yeah. I mean, interesting things. I mean, uh, the first thought that comes to mind when you ask me about that, um, I left home one year in March because I thought, okay, I'm going up to North Dakota, so it ought to be getting warmer by then. A little less winter. Well. It was right when we first started going back up to North Dakota. And I 
I took off on a Sunday and got up to Jamestown in the Holiday Inn Express there by the interstate and uh, woke up the next morning, looked out the window, and I'm not going anywhere. I go down to eat breakfast and they tell me the interstate's closed and oh, by the way, so we're all the two lane roads <laughs> as the lights flicker. I'm stuck there for four days. Could not move out of that. Thank goodness for uh, Pizza Ranch right next door. I could walk the Pizza Ranch and get some food, but you get a little tired of pizza and salad and chicken uh, by four days are over. But anyway, I mean, it's uh, no the funny part of that is yeah, Golden Corral. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was funny about that is that, um, okay, so the snow drifts in the parking lot. They have power company guys that are staying at the same hotel. As there are these three nice young looking women. Uh, we finally get where we can leave the hotel and they're getting out before me. Um, they're all dressed up. They have their hose. They have their nice dress shoes on. They wade through the snow. There's drifts between the cars. We kind of chuckle at them, me and the, the line guys from the power company. And uh, I go out to start out to my car and I realized that they had gotten stuck getting out of the parking lot right behind my car. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to push these gals out. So I walked back in to the power company guys and I said, guys, do you know those three good looking gals that were in here? Yeah, they're they're coming back tonight. I said, well, you want to get in good with them? Yeah, I sure would like to get in good with them. And I said, uh, well, here's the deal. They're out there stuck in a parking lot. You guys want to go help push them out? And they were out of there like a shot. And I never had to get out of the, I waited in the lobby till they got them pushed out and uh, I was able to keep going. But, you know, it's, it's not as bad as, you know, you got to be careful where you stay out on the road, right? Yeah. Some places are, you, you've been there, Jason, Roger. I mean, you know, there's some places that are better than others and some are sealed better than others. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I stay mostly in the South and Southeast. So this whole snow thing is, this has got got me confused, but uh, yeah, it's uh, every 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 climate's got its uh, challenges. We'll say. <laughs> I got being from Arkansas. I remember going up there, Scott. You might have been with me. It's been years now, but I was up in North Dakota, and I got laughed out of some little cafe. It was it was March, and but you know there was snow piled up outside and everything. And I they asked what we wanted to drink for lunch, and I said tea, iced tea, and they they laugh me out of the place it started hey marge you know this guy wants iced tea in the middle of march what's his problem they're like that's a seasonal drink buddy we only serve that in july yeah. and august <laughs> i'm like oh, i didn't know yeah. that. hilarious yeah it it you know when, when you travel you just run across weird stuff right like like the old motel sixes uh before they got them nice again um wait they're nice again <laughs> hey They'll keep the light on for you, right? Yeah, they'll also keep the bed bugs for you. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there's a guy who used to work for us by the name of Charlie Davis. He and I were traveling, and we were going to do a workshop, and we got snowed out. This was in actually western Nebraska, and got snowed out, and we, we actually, they closed the interstate, and so we got into this little hotel. 
we had the last room and we had to put a roll away in the room. So I let Charlie have the bed and I'm sleeping on the roll away, right? Well, you know, they've got the, the heater air conditioning unit sticking in the side of the wall. And unfortunately, our heater in our room had two settings, on and off. <laughs> so what we did was we we let got the room warmed up, got under the covers, Charlie turns off the the heater and then gets into bed, figure it'll be okay. Well, nature calls in the middle of the night. I step out of the get out up from the uh hideaway bed there and step down and i find out that around the heating unit there was a leak in the air and there's about an eight inch deep drift of snow that's blown in <laughs> so i stepped out of there out of the bed in my bare feet to go to the gentleman's room and you know if i didn't have to go before i sure as heck did then uh so <laughs> you know it, it just you run into stuff that just you'd rather forget but you know it's it's like we've talked before you know some should be writing a book about all the things that happened to us out on the road right oh man it's fun. between restaurants and hotels right it's just it's amazing <laughs> wouldn't that's trade right. it for the world that's it's right a great, you just, good experience you just got to keep smiling and be nice to everybody that's yep. the, that's the that's the trick i guess scott you kind of been talking a little bit about things you've gone through over the years on the road in the grain business. Uh, one of the things that, uh, again, we've talked about recently and has been in the zeitgeist, is not just to ag Twitter, but all over the ag industry lately, uh, by lately, I mean several years, has been, um, you know, the overall perspective of our industry, uh, mergers, consolidation and the like, you know, and we see it from the farm end, uh, farms get bigger, we see it up to the to the majors growing and even some majors like with the recent announcement of Bungie of selling a bunch of their elevators uh, to CGB and um, you know, maybe even getting out of the grain storage business in North America altogether. Uh, so anyway, we've seen a lot of this just in our short time, speaking for me and Jason, you have seen quite a bit more of it. Um, so sometimes it's helpful to see it a bigger, uh, you know, view from history of, of what we're looking at because sometimes we may wake up and think this is something new. Um, so we just wanted to ask you, what's your thoughts on that? What have you seen over the years? And is this a cycle or is this, uh, like they say, a new plateau? Well, no, I think, you know, I've heard the words new plateau so many times in my career, I've become somewhat uh, insulated towards it because the more things change, the more they're the same. I mean, we've seen cycles where the, the majors will increased presence in the country and then decreased presence in the country. Cargill's a good example of that. Um, you know, we saw that happen in the 80s. Uh, they sold a bunch of their line elevators. They were getting out of the country elevator business altogether. Now you see them out there in the form of some joint ventures in places. I mean, it, it's just a cycle, you know, but, uh, you know, when you talk about how things have changed, I think you put you can look at the co-op world as a as a pretty good example. Uh, you know, we're seen a lot of these mergers in the co-op world. Um, I was just looking at a thing today that, of an example of a company now that has 58 locations or something like that, and it's it's a conglomeration of probably 
12 to 14 co-ops that have become one now. You know, the idea of, I, I really, really like the small co-ops. We've got a lot of those that are our companies. We also have some big ones, you know, uh, that are our customers that we work with. But, you know, the small co-ops, I mean, those guys take such pride in their in their local owned co-op. And I that's the thing that's it's sad to see go away. Um, in some cases, but there are some single location, two, three location co-ops that are being very successful out there. So, you know, it, it's unfortunately probably one of the biggest changes we've seen is the lack of qualified managers. Uh, that's something that we've seen that that's somewhat disturbing. I, I can probably think off the top of my head of five or six cases of mergers that took place just for the simple fact that they couldn't find a qualified manager to run the co-op they felt. So they wound up merging with somebody else. And I think that's a shame. Um, you know, I, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, it costs a lot of money to hire a CEO for a multi-location organization anymore. And not saying those guys don't earn their money, but you know, if you can grow your own, a lot of times you can get them cheaper and they are invested in the community and, and it works pretty good. So, you know, I think that's a that's a thing that I kind of hate to to see leave, but there has been some. You know, it does cycle. I, I guess that's the main thing. Um, you know, I I think there will be some time when we'll probably see some of these mega co-ops or these large organizations might decide that maybe we need to small up a little bit, um, and that might take different forms. So yeah. I, you know, I think it's, it's something that's, it's, it's there, but, you know, I think it's just something that uh, is, it's sad from my point of view as an old guy. I, sure, I like that sure. old well, feel. We, we need old guy views every now and then. Um, Jason's getting close to being old, but I'm not. So it's good <laughs> to have, have more of that. Did you know that the deal with the, the employees and, and finding help and finding a replacement you know, I think it's a couple of things because we know that there are qualified folks out there. Um, but getting from one climb to another is, is difficult. There's, you know, the saying is if you want to make a lot of money in the grain elevator business, you go be a GM or run an elevator in one of the Dakotas because you've got umpteen mm -hmm. locations and the winners are terrible. Um, if you're not from there, they're terrible. If you're from there, it's probably just, eh, you know, whatever. Uh, but anyway, you've got a premium there for that. You, the money's got to be enough to encourage someone to come there and stay there and also to convince their wife or husband, if it's a, a woman GM, uh, to do the same and, and then their kids and all these other things. But when you've had uh, some of these places, and this, this is not specific to co-ops by any means. This goes to private elevators too. But if you've had a manager there for 30 years, he retires or she retires and then the board goes out and looks for a new one to replace them, I think it's more of a deal of sticker shock. Hey, they've paid this guy for 30 years. He's hopefully had some decent raises over time, but everybody knows that a cust uh, an employee that you have is cheaper than an employee you've got to go find uh, for the same spot. Gen I think that's a general rule of thumb in business and for sure in the grain business. So when the board goes or the owners go and say, we've been paying this guy $125,000 a year to run this place and the market now is starting out at 175 or 200 for the same role i think sticker shock sets in and then it comes into well that's out of our league we can't find anybody to replace this guy let's talk about merging with the neighbor 
And I, I'm just broad brushing here, but I have heard specific cases where that was the case and how, how murders happen. And murders have for very various reasons. But as far as finding good, qualified talent, we see it. We, we educate a lot of these people. We have over the last several years, and they're out there. Young people with skills are out there and want to be uh, taught and fill these roles. It's just uh, it's arbitrage is what we're in, right, guys? You know, finding the, the bid and the offer out there and getting them together. And, and it does happen. We know folks that's gone from beautiful mountains of the Rockies in Colorado to southeast, uh, southeast Arkansas and run an elevator, and she's done perfectly fine with it. You know, so you can transplant. It's just uh, the other incentives have got to be there. And um, all these things kind of come into consideration when it comes to uh, these, these, these merger stuff happening. It's not always a dollar and cents um, proposition. I've been told by some of these co-ops that have merged that it's not necessary that they think they're going to make more, say, on their grain uh, programs by merging, uh, but maybe economies and scale and inputs or other things out there. So there's it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but right. uh, I tend to agree with you, Scott. You know, you see uh, companies going in, growing locations, letting go of locations over time. It happens. And I think I can remember Mr. White saying that he goes, it's just a cycle, you know. And for one instance, he used Cargill and said, you know, when they were growing back in the 70s and 80s and then they got rid of a bunch of stuff and then they had locations again. And here recently they've been getting rid of stuff, just one company out of many. But, you know, they follow market signals like all of us should. Right. And, and you know, it's a really good point. You made a really good point. You know, we've been talking a lot about co-ops. I, I don't want to overly focus on that. This is something we're also seeing in privates as well. You see, you see larger private companies that are growing as well. Um, I can think of one in Nebraska that used to be a single location that now I think they have 16 or 17 locations, privately owned. But it's still that same set of challenges that we're dealing with, right? About why, why would a, a family give up a business? It's because for whatever reason, they're not able to continue on with that in their own business, in their own mm -hmm. family. So they, they wind up having to give it to somebody else to run. So it's not just a, a co-op issue. It's a, it's an industry issue. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's the big thing about it as far as it goes. When you look at the future, you know, with how these things work, I mean, let's face it, there are some locations out there that are not maybe geographically located in the ideal position. They may not be on a rail line. Um, does that mean that location is now not viable? Well, it may not be viable in its current mode. It might be viable in the fact that this now becomes a house where we're going to only take and receive non-GMO corn or non-GMO organic corn or uh, high lysine corn, whatever it might be, whatever specialty crop that you need that isolation, that segregation uh, between commodities, you know, you know, I think that there's going to be a second life for some of these locations like that. Looking at the industry going forward, and, and, and you know, I, I bring that up by design because there's some misconceptions out there about maybe what my opinion is on this uh, that I shared with people before. I am not a non-GMO, GMO Nazi. Um, <laughs> I've ever heard that said of you, but... I hang around people that like you. Yeah. Um, 
you know, here's the thing. Um, I really don't care what your opinion is about whether or not you personally agree or disagree with the science of GMO versus non-GMO. What I will tell you is the consumer votes with dollars. And there's a segment of our population out there getting, it seems to be a very large one that has a very big voice that says we are interested in a specific thing, um, non-GMO corn for my corn chips. Uh, whether you like the idea or not, they're willing to pay a premium for that. Being a capital, capitalist, I absolutely want to give that customer what he wants if he's willing to pay me a lot of money to do it. So I'll figure out a way to do it. Um, I'm not going to question whether or not scientifically it makes sense what his arguments are. It's what he believes, and that's good enough for me. So, you know, I think that there's ways for us to find niches that, that I think uh, going forward, there's going to still be the large commoditized operations uh, like, uh, you know, train loaders and things like that that handle high volume commodities. But there's also a place in the industry for, for smaller, um, more specialized type situations. And I think that you're going to see probably a segment of our industry decide that that's probably going to be the best route to go. Um, We've seen that kind of specialization somewhat in the feed mill industry where, you know, it used to be you'd see feed mills that would go after any kind of feed that anybody wanted to have in, in their particular part of the world. Now you're seeing people that say, well, this, this particular feed mill only makes feed for hogs. This particular feed mill only makes feed for dairy. You're starting to see more of that kind of thing. And, and, what I've also seen is an interesting thing is I've seen there are people that have made a decision to say, hey, you know what? There's still a lot of people out there that like to show cattle, like to show hogs, like to show whatever kind of animal, rabbits. Uh, those things need a specialized feed and there's specialized feed mills that just cater towards that very broad range of, of, of 4-H, FFA, uh, animal competitions that that they specialize in that um in fact we've got one of our customers that that it i just love it they they've got a feed mill and one of the guys that's a part owner in it spends time going out uh, right before the county fair and you can't hardly find him in the office because he's out helping uh do the clipping for the show cattle right before they go to fair to show so yeah the, just, the, the show animal thing's incredible i mean the the margins there when i was in louisiana you know i had a guy that would willingly was paying deer corn prices to feed his cockfighting roosters it was incredible i i, yeah. I could get my mind around but it was a, it was a great deal for me it's a great margin yeah and i mean it's so it's just it, it's deciding you know what you want to be what you want to do whether that's enough to make it work for you um and and you know there's there's some of these larger organizations it's like well, you know, we can't really do that. Well, you know, some of your small locations that you might have been thinking about closing, is there a second life for that in in some kind of a niche market, you know, um, that could be done with a large organization still being involved? So, you know, I I am very optimistic about the future. I think our industry is, is at a crossroads where um, you said it well, Roger, I mean, it's 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 uh you know there's a lot of people we're looking for work right now there's even a few good ones that's what i hear a lot <laughs> 
and and it's not that they're bad people they're they're people out there it's just they need to have they've got good people skills but what they've got to do is say okay how do i apply that in the grain industry how do i apply that in the ag industry and you know what there are people i i've got a good friend of ours that has a son that just graduated from high school in in the omaha metropolitan area and he has decided after hearing me talk to people at different places that that he wants to go to iowa western and he wants to learn ag business and he wants to get involved in ag business and i've i've warned him that you know look if you're like after, out for the huge bucks that's not that's not it but i said you'll never find a more rewarding place to work and and he says really and i said well let me just give you something that sounds kind of cheesy but i said this is what i believe a lot of people get up in the morning and they say, oh, man, I have to go to work today. In the last 29 years, I have not said that once. When I wake up in the morning, I get to say, you know what? I'm going to go out today and I'm going to get to work with the best people in the world. Farmers, people in the ag industry. And, you know, there are times when I, I just can't believe that I get paid to do this. Well, if you ever get to where you think you're paid too much, I know somebody will be willing to take some of that burden off of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'll tell you what, yeah. it is. It's, I mean, we're, it's a privilege for us to work with these people, and it, it's just like, you know, um, it, it's unbelievable. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And back, you guys are going to have to put up with me for quite a while yet because I have no interest in retiring whatsoever. You know, as we get winding down here in this uh this episode uh, jason you may have something else uh, you want to ask as well but my, my mind goes to um scott you've done a lot of farmer meetings over the years and you i'm assuming you're going to continue to do a lot of farmer meetings over the years to come and uh, i've heard stories of yours over time but if you had to pick one off the cuff moment that really stands out at a farmer meeting be it frustrating funny whatever would you share with the audience what's one memorable interaction you had with at the farmer meeting yeah it's my it's I, I, thanks for asking that because um i i was just thinking a little bit ago as we were talking here that i got to find a way to get this in and now you give me the chance um i was doing a farmer's meeting at, at a location and uh there was about 200 people in the room and and you guys know um the best farmers meeting in the world goes when you have lots of interaction with the with with the patrons there the farmers that are there so you try to get them involved but when you got 200 people in the room nobody really seems to want to talk very much and uh so i asked this question um like i always do at every farmers meeting i said so uh what's a good price for corn and I hear shouts around the room and, and take into consideration the timing of this um, was pre-08. Um, hear numbers thrown around the room, you know, $4, $5, $6, great price to sell corn. And this, this older gentleman that's sitting right in the front row says it doesn't matter. And of all the times I've asked that question in producers meetings, I had never heard this the question or the comment 
it doesn't matter. So I get down off the stage with the microphone and I, I walk over to this gentleman who's about 90 some years old. And I said, sir, could you stand up please? And he stands up and I said, you gave me the most unique answer I've ever heard. And he says, what's that? I said, I asked what a good price for corn was and you said it doesn't matter. He goes, that's right. And I said, well, can you explain that a little bit? He says, well, yeah, you know, it's pretty easy. He says, um, a good price for corn is always 10 cents higher than the elevator's willing to pay that day. <laughs> Perfect. He knows. And I said, I, I said, it's always 10 cents more. He says, I said, at what price? He goes, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, and, and, it, and it really in a nutshell was, <laughs> I mean, it, it, you take all the things that happened to us during farmers meetings. Um, it all comes back to that thing. I mean, one of my favorite questions to ask is how many people in this room firmly believe the market always goes up the day after they sell and it never fails. Every single hand in the room shoots up. They don't even hesitate. They all believe that the market goes up after they sell. So, I mean, it's just, you know, the funny things you hear, the questions. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a hoot. It's a hoot. But that guy's got a special place in my heart, though. Awesome. Well, that's that, that's a great story. I uh, wish we could keep going, but we have our our time constraints, of course, and uh, and and we want to want to wrap this one up. But we really appreciate Scott having you on and and taking some time with us and and letting our listeners hear some of some of your perspective that uh, that's a, a little a little bigger than ours for sure. So uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming and and uh, doing this for us. It's my pleasure. Glad to do it. Awesome. And and uh, as always, we really appreciate you guys listening and continuing to download and like and subscribe and all the other things uh, that you do. Uh, please do that. Continue to do that and reach out to us on Twitter at Elevators Cut is our Twitter handle. And Scott, you've got a Twitter, too, right? Yeah, it's at Basis Scott. Yeah, there you go. That one's pretty simple. Uh, so. So yeah, reach out to us, uh, any of us, all of us, and and uh, let us know if if there's more stuff you wanna you wanna glean from Scott, like I'm, you know that that's come up uh, during this episode. Definitely reach out to him or us, or or tell us we need to do another podcast about something else. You know we're we're uh, we're always open and and glad to hear from you guys and interact and uh, and everything. Roger, Roger is uh, is back from. Uh, from paternity leave and is sleeping very well now i understand right someone lied to you <laughs> it's a, he was he was a just he's just been a bowl of sunshine obviously uh no he's it's uh been been uh been great to to get back in the swing here and everything but um but anyways roger do you have anything else to to add for today nope <laughs> excellent um all right, well, that's it for today then. So, as always, thanks. And uh, for Roger, I'm Jason. Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Elevator's Cut.